If you're looking for trouble, you came to the right place. If you're looking for trouble, you look right in my face. I was born standing up and talking back. My daddy was a green-eyed man and jack because I'm evil. My middle name is Misery. Well, I'm evil. So don't you mess around with me. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. How's it going? Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I'm your host, Reverend Campbell. It is April 5th, and as of today, we have 1,235,199 worldwide cases of COVID-19 with 67,186 deaths. But I got a great show for you this week. All right, so in The Devil's Advocate, I'm going to be talking to you about humanity and infernal informant. I'm going to be talking about an article called Humanity's Origin Story Just Got More Complicated. And in the Devil's, or <laughs> Creature Feature, we're going to talk about The Nightingale. It's a 2018 film. And oh, boy, do I got some stuff to say about it. That being said, this past week has been the hardest for me. Now, uh, I had a great time on a Satanist on Cinema episode midweek last week. But not getting out has been really driving me bonkers. Like, really crazy. I was really at a low point. And then uh, on Friday night, Saturday morning, made a resolve, we've got to get out into the mountains. I don't care what the weather's like. I don't care what is going to happen, whether we're going to contract COVID or not. We have to get in the mountains because I need to feel sane again. And as soon as I did, as soon as we got in the car, packed up our hiking gear, and drove to the canyon... I immediately felt all of the stress wash down off of me. And as soon as we got out there and we were walking up that mountain, looking at the goddamn gorgeous Timpanogos mountain range, uh, I just, I felt alive again. I felt like me again. So I don't know if all of you have the opportunity to go hiking or whether you are literally on lockdown or not. We're not yet just non-essential and, you know, cut down commute. But if you can get out, oh my goodness, it is necessary. I took a few photos and I put those up. While we were up there, uh, on the way up, we saw this deer skull just placed right in the middle of the trail, which was weird. Never saw that before. Hiked this trail many times. And then, uh, I don't know, maybe a half a mile further up the trail, we saw a dead skunk on its back, just hanging out, spread eagle. Just, and it was the cutest dead skunk. I've... To be fair, I haven't seen a lot of dead skunks. But this was like Pepe Le Pew cute. Straight up. Adorable. But dead. And then we got to the very summit. And we looked in the mud because there was mounds of snow in the middle of the trail. And then the, the outsides of the trails was all melted and, and sort of wet and muddy. Massive paw prints of what we... I mean, we're just guessing is a bobcat. Or mountain lion or something. 
Um, but it was a huge, <laughs> huge fucking footprint. And we followed it from the summit all the way to the reservoir, which we were going to. And so the entire time I was like, why didn't I bring my revolver? Why didn't I bring my knife? We are going like, we have to stay together. If something happens, I'm going to fight a fucking cat and you guys are going to run as fast as you can. Cause there's no way I'm going to let it get you guys. And it was just this panic, like immediately set in at the top. And instead of panic for pandemic, it was panic for survival, which is a refreshing change. And it's a different panic. It actually makes you feel alive rather than dead. Like I feel sitting in my house all goddamn day. It was beautiful. I, I had such a great time up there. And then uh, today we went on a walk. The wind was just coming in crazy fast. And it just felt great. And oh, I just, I wish it could be like this. Like regular life. <laughs> I wish we weren't dealing with the insanity of the world that we're dealing with. Um, but in order to mitigate that, I'm going to try to have a good show for you guys. Uh, let me give a quick shout out here. Valeria, how are you, my dear? Thanks for joining. Uh, Jupiter, what's up, man? Uh, Clinton, how you doing? Kyle, thanks for joining us live, man. Zachary, always good to see you. Ashworth, what up? Malcolm, uh, dog. How you doing, girl? Uh, Jason, good to see you, man. Okay, so uh, you're 40 hours a week. See, I'm 40 hours a week, but I'm at home. So I, I have the, I don't know, fortune... Of, of being able to work from home. Um, what's up, Clinton? Okay, so that being said, a um, couple hints. I just found out today that HBO Go is giving like free series, like the streaming series. So I don't know if you have the app on your de mobile device or on your TV or on your computer, but you can stream Sopranos, Veep, there's like a bunch, six feet under, which is a great series, but they're just letting you stream it for free without having to be a subscriber of HBO. These are award-winning series, really, really good stuff. So if you're tired of scrolling through, I don't know what you guys scroll through, Netflix or Hulu or something, check out HBO Go. It's worth it. Um, okay, so let's see here. That's all I really had. I, I got to give a quick note here. I would not have a trimmed beard or an ironed shirt if it were not for this show and you guys. So <laughs> you're helping me stay sane and I genuinely appreciate it. So thank you very, very much. You could easily just tell me to fuck off and I would do something else, but you don't. So thanks. I dig it, man. What's up, Behemoth? Uh, okay, so I got some new intros. I'm not really new. To be fair, I just, <laughs> I just did like the laziest thing I could possibly do and put a video behind them. So it's not really a new intro, but at least it fades in and fades out on the music. So I'm not just sitting here waiting. They're all, each of them are 30 seconds. So you know how much uh, interim time each segment intro is. Um, yeah, I guess that's kind of it. I don't, <laughs> thanks, Glenn. I appreciate it, man. Uh, let's do this uh, humanity in The Devil's Advocate. something. It's not nothing. 
<laughs> but it's something. At least it's just not a flat screen that you guys are staring at. Let's, uh, let me pull up this image here. Oh, do I have an image on this? Yeah, I do. Here we go. Little Da Vinci for you. All right, I wanted to talk about humanity. Um, I was thinking about, I've been reflecting on this idea since uh, we've been quarantined, since we've been put on social distancing. Um, and each of the episodes preceding this one, I've been speaking to forms of this in relation to Satanism. Um, so there should be this cohesive thing, this theme floating through all these devil's advocates for the past month and a half, I think. But uh, I'm struggling with this because I, I want to talk about humanity in the context of us being a Satanist. Um, and I, I think it can be easily uh, conflated that all Satanists despise humanity. We refer to them as the herd. Uh, and we've, we've talked about... Um, uh, misanthropy in the past. We've talked about a bit of stratification, um, but I want to talk about this in the context of a species. Um, and so I, I see humanity in, in various stages, right? It's like the definition of humanity is uh, uh, good, uh, kind will, uh, you, know, you know, being a part of a, the humanity species. Um, and I don't I don't believe in kindness in general, just because we should. Uh, that's a, a weird moral uh, Judeo-Christian construct. Um, but I certainly believe in discriminating kindness to those who deserve it. Kindness to those who deserve it. Don't uh, waste love on ingrates. So uh, I, I look at humanity in a couple different ways. I see it in terms of the individual which I think is primarily how we interact on a day-to-day -day basis, unless we're just sort of, you know, ad hominem attacking the herd. Uh, and then I extrapolate that out and see humanity as tribal. So you have your various Islamic, Judeo, Christian tribes, which I desperately disagree with philosophically, but generally on one-to-one -one basis, I don't have any issue with them. Uh, organizationally, structurally, tribally, I have an issue with it. Uh, and I want to touch on that in a second. But then I think of humanity as terms of evolutionarily, as far as global humanity. And I actually adore, historically, I adore humanity um, for both its monstrosities and its majestic creation. Um, the way that we... And I think a lot of us, well... Uh, anecdotally, I don't believe a lot of us give enough credence through the Renaissance age to the uh, church, as it were, to the Roman Catholic Church. And it's weird to say as a Satanist, but understand, the only people that had money was the church. So all of the artwork, all of the statues, all of the tapestries, all of the music, that was all funded by the church. No one else could afford it. Um, of course, there was bankers with money, but they worked within the limits of the church. And so, ignore all the other insanity about the Roman Catholic Church, but in that time, they funded some amazing artwork. And they, through that artwork, through those artists' interpretations, some of them were very sneakily 
throwing in anti-religious uh, sentiments through their works, which I adore. Uh, but it was because of that funding that we had the entire Renaissance itself, the return of classical art from Greek bygone days, um, masterpieces of, of, of classical music. Uh, the printing press was a direct result of the Bible needing to be printed for the clergy. <laughs> so all of literature... The history of literature is, is from that starting moment. So when I reflect on humanity, I, I, I accept how shitty and terrible we are, but I kind of like that part of humanity too. But then I also reflect on how wonderful we are because we were able in this darkest period of an organization stifling and murdering human existence and knowledge, they were also ironically the jumping off point for some of the still heralded today most amazing pieces of artwork and music ever to have been written. And that's a crazy position to be in. That's the dichotomy. That's the, the juxtaposition of human expression, right? We create and we destroy. And I adore that about humanity. So I can't reflect on humanity and say, as a global entity, as a species, we are all bad. That, that humanity itself deserves to rot in the ground. I'm a part of it, right? So as a Satanist, it's a little bit strange for me to have to wrestle with these ideas of at once holding contempt for tribal factions of humanity and then at the same time having a great admiration for its various forms of expression. It's, not, you know, you don't really think about that when you're in your lane in your life, in your neighborhood, dealing with assholes on a day-to-day -day basis. But I like to take a step back because, of course, I'm obsessed with how we as a species evolved, and we're going to get into that in a little bit here. But through that lens, I, I got to love humanity. I absolutely have to. Now, that does that mean that I love every individual human? Fuck no. I'm indifferent to virtually every human out there at best. And to very, very few that I connect with in, in life, in real world, I absolutely love because I chose to be around them. I choose to have them around me. Uh, outside of that, it's indifference. I don't, I don't generally hate humanity, as it were. Again, there's exceptions for tribal groups, but that's not the individual. Those are tribal entities. Uh, you admire humankind's ability to create and adapt i really dislike delusional people though yeah no absolutely well and here's this i want to talk about this really quick zachary you bring up a really good point um so when i think of humanity in terms of tribes uh typically modern culture thinks in terms of religious uh islamic judeo christian uh abrahamic religions as it were we never and, and we you know we 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 excuse uh our vehemence uh, towards them as a tribe because of the atrocities that they commit on a regular, right? Like, like they have covered up child abuse on an enormous scale for hundreds of years. It's just a thing that's pervasive in that organization. They murder people that don't agree with their ideas. They've wiped off entire civilizations' histories that informed our existence. So you can't look at them and think that it's a good thing 
And so we have this sort of anti-religious um, sentiment amongst us as Satanists, understandably. But we don't reflect the same way on other tribal groups, like, I don't know, the Roman pagan before 325 AD when Emperor Constantine formed the religious entity of the, the Roman Catholic Church, right? Before that, they were all just pagans. Uh, they committed mad atrocities. <laughs> they murdered indiscriminately. We don't think of them in the same contempt that we do. What about Egyptians? They enslaved just entire groups of peoples. We don't think, we don't think of them as contemptible. In fact, most of us connect with their iconography more than other uh, tribal groups. And so is it just distance? And that's why we excuse one tribal faction versus another, distance through space and time, that we're like, well, it's okay now because they're not affecting me anecdotally. But the ones that are affecting me anecdotally, ooh, right? I wonder about that. Um, gross injustices against man. Yeah, no, uh, it's just not in the Reformation are fascinating. They absolutely are. Well, and here's the other thing is that, you know, I was, I was speaking about the, the uh, Roman Catholic Church funding a lot of the Renaissance art and music. Have you ever looked at, if you've ever taken an art class, you know about this, but if you've ever looked at Muslim artwork, like they're not allowed to visually recreate nature, right? So you can't draw flowers or beautiful people. So instead they use geometric patterns and shapes and it's absolutely gorgeous what they were able to do because of their insane religious rules they were forced to be very creative in coming up in forms of artistic expression and it is stunning what they did i mean truly beautiful um so uh i i struggle with the idea of of in the context of comparing tribal groups saying that one is better or worse than the other right you can't I couldn't say that Christians are better or worse than pagan Romans or better or worse than Egyptians or any other Sumerians or whatever, Mesopotamia, you know, choose your tribe. Are they better or worse than those who also had their own strange moral leeways in the name of their religion or their culture? And we do the same thing today, right? We excuse uh, certain behaviors or, or uh, certain um, deaths because maybe we enjoy AR-15s. Maybe we enjoy having firearms whenever we want to have them. And so we think that it's okay that on rare occasions, someone mows down four to 20 people. You're like, ah, that's all right because I could have my gun. No judgments, but that's a human construct that we're allowing to perpetuate because of our current cultural norms, right? It wasn't so long ago that cultural norms were as soon as a woman could uh, have her period, she was married off so that uh, literally sold to someone so then she could be a baby farm so that they could have hand workers for their to live in a plantation or a farm. Like we forget that we are not so far removed from very atrocious behavior ourselves. Slavery, right around the corner. Uh, women not having the right to vote, uh, not being equal to men, 
You can argue whether or not we're still there, but the point is it was much worse not so long ago. So all of these cultural norms that we don't ever reflect on that are a part of humanity in our tribe, we turn another eye, right? And it's okay. So how do we, how do we engage in these hypocritical, ironic juxtapositions of acceptance when it comes to humanity as a Satanist? Most of us, again, just focus on the individual points, the individual people, their individual expressions. And that way, it's much simpler to say, oh, well, that's good, that's bad. Right? Again, only for our uh, personal opinions. Uh, let's see. Uh, what self-defense weapon do you recommend to someone who's not legally able to have a firearm? Knives? <laughs> a katana's always good. Uh, if you can have a firearm, I would definitely recommend it. Um, you don't think it's okay that anyone murders someone without damn good reason? You mentioned delusional people again with the mass shootings. Yeah, it's only delusional people that do mass shootings. <laughs> Level-headed people don't do that. <laughs> so I absolutely agree with you. Um, uh, you've been thinking a lot about the way we talk about people in the abstract, the herd. And I'm really starting to think that there's just people, not persons. That's a See, and this is kind of where I am right now as well. In the same way that my perceptions about animals have evolved, uh, meaning other than human animals, like animals that we keep in zoos or test on. Uh, I am more, I, like I'm not Peter or anything. I'm not, I'm not like saying animals should be able to roam free in every you know, location. But... Uh, I definitely don't believe in zoos. I don't believe in bred in captivity type, unless you're trying to save a species, for example, and then get them the fuck back in the wild. Uh, and so in the context of humanity, I'm kind of the same way. And so let me bring this around why I started thinking about this in the first place, because of this pandemic. Uh, I can't help but find a sense of um, happiness and reassurance when I see uh, the medical profession stepping up the way they are in such an unfair, as far as a culture, as far as a species uh, in the context of uh, professions, how unfair it is for all of us to say, hey, you know what? The only people that are between us and death is you. So you have to work as much as possible and you're not allowed to see your family because you got to take care of my family when they get sick. Um, they they're doing an amazing job around the globe, not regionally in in Utah or the United States or North America, but globally. Healthcare workers are doing some amazing thing, um, things. Grocers, the fucking job that people tried to get when they were teenagers, ma'am, paper plastic, ma'am, right. And we sort of look on as like single, pay, uh, single parent mothers um, uh, trying to raise their kids and, and you know, working as a, a cash checker. We don't really think of, or, or like uh, the shelf stocking uh, employee, we don't think of them in terms of a dangerous position. But right now, that's insanely dangerous. <laughs> You're exposed every single day so that people can go crazy over toilet paper. Right? I, I, I find joy that there are human beings out there that are willing to do that and are still doing it as 
the numbers doubled since last week. I don't know if you guys noticed that, um, the amount of infected and the amount of dead from this disease. Uh, just in one week, they're out there every single day. Graphic designers aren't doing shit. Fucking uh, truckers. Fucking truckers are traveling the, the fucking country delivering goods. Tattoo artists are fucking out of work, right? And so I'm reflecting on individual human beings that are in professions that were seen as either sort of, you know, subpar for most of us or laughable by some of us and are now seen as absolutely heroic and indispensable. And I find a sense of contentment, peace of mind, a bit of joy that humanity does not crumble on the first sign of danger. That fight or flight, it's society that's keeping us together. And I would posit that if Satanists around the globe ran everything and we weren't an extreme minority, which we are, we would not be in this position. And that's not to denigrate Satanists, but again, it's a very selfish religion. We are focused on our own life and the lives of those whom we find to be of value. Usually, the very close-knit circle. And as Satanists, we believe in survival. So we will lie if we have to lie. We will cheat if we have to cheat. We will hide who and what we really are, what we really think, if it means... Because we don't believe in martyrdom, right? As a, a religion. How many Satanist doctors out there are there? How many of them really don't want to be doing what they're doing? If it was all Satanists, I don't know if we'd be holding up as a society like we are right now. Yeah, I mean, it's something worth considering at least, right? And so how can I as a Satanist who see myself as the highest embodiment of human life, I say that with you know, fingers, uh, air quotes and, and crossed, um, the alien elite, I strive to be a better version of me every single day and that's as masterful as I can be as a human being. But as a Satanist, I do generally see myself as better than the majority of other people. But the majority of other people are keeping me safe and alive. And I am reaping the rewards of being able to criticize and bitch and moan and complain and talk shit about other tribal groups because of these other people who, if they realized I was a Satanist, maybe they would have contempt for me. Maybe they'd be indifferent to it. But anecdotally, they'd still do their fucking job as a doctor. They'd still sell me toilet paper so I could wipe my butthole. <laughs> So how can I have contempt for humanity when they are literally serving me to their own detriment? I, I mean, selfless acts, as long as I'm not the one doing it, I kind of dig. How could you not when you're benefiting directly from it? These are the things that are making me think as a Satanist, like, huh. You know, I never even before, I, I had great indifference for humanity. I don't. I don't necessarily like or love anyone simply because they're part of the same species as I am. I certainly don't love them. Uh, but again, great indifference. I don't hate them. I just have indifference for them until they prove me to either like them or dislike them through their own actions, right? Um, but this does make me think twice. <laughs> like, honestly, like, maybe 
Everyone is not as horrible as I, and, and I need to always couch this in the reality of I'm talking about specific professions here. I'm not talking about humanity in general, right? I think humanity in general is pretty despicable, even though I celebrate some of the despicable nature of humanity, <laughs> if I'm being honest. Um, I don't know, man. It, it, I, I find it challenging. I, I, we as a religion pride ourselves in our ability to, we claim at least, <laughs> to uh, have an ability to question all things, even our own religion. Um, what about our own preconceived notions that are informed through experience when forced with situations like we're in now? That hasn't happened since the Spanish flu. Now, certainly not everyone's good. Definitely not. Most people are fucking horrible, worthless bags of flesh. And most of them are stupid as fuck. Let... Let Darwinism take care of them. They'll take care of themselves for their stupid actions. But those that are stepping up, man, I feel good. I'm glad that they're there. I really am. And I don't hate them, even if they're a specific religion that I don't like, because I deal with them on the individual basis as a Satanist. You know? I don't know. So what do you guys think? Let me see what you guys are saying. Human contact has become a danger. We may see more of this in the future. Absolutely. Clinton. <laughs> I hate myself. Uh, with all this toilet paper nonsense, the release of new products, I uh, can't help but feel like a herder, uh, like a herded one. Well, that's the other thing is that how how old is this toilet paper invention? Like we get new phones every year. Toilet paper has been the same for like ever, right? I mean, we go double ply or we go quilted, but that's it. Every year we get a new phone with new technology, but toilet paper has kind of been stagnant. So maybe we should be rethinking how to clean our buttholes. Um, ninja home defense, yeah, with the katanas. Uh, keeping a job is a survival action. Over two-thirds of our population is dependent on modern technology. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, long crews are all over your hood. Yeah, I don't know about that. I, that I, I'm, I'm of the position where if you have uh, property, you need to take care of it. Pay, unless you literally can't, and then you can afford to pay someone. Then more on you. If Satanists ran things, we would all understand immediately that proximity is an act of violence in a virulent ver population. I'm not going to try that. That's interesting. I want to talk about it for a second. Oh shit, where'd it go? Where'd it go? If Satanists ran things, we would all understand immediately that proximity is an act of violence in a virulent population. Proximity is an act of violence. So, certainly one of our pentagonal revisionisms is total environments, right? Like, we, we as Satanists champion the idea of setting boundaries. Even walking in open territory, do not bother someone. Um, if they bother you, tell them to stop. If they do not stop, destroy them, right? I mean, we, we celebrate the idea of, look, this is my space. Do not get in my space or else. And we hopefully practice what we preach, right? Um, preach with tongue firmly planted in cheek. I, I think that's interesting because uh, there's a lot of professions that I don't... Again, this is conjecture. I don't know if Satanists would do. And maybe I'm just projecting, but there are certainly professions that I would not do. One, I've, I've spent too long training in, in my current profession to... But then you reflect and say, no matter what, I'm going to survive. 
So if I have to, I will do anything in order to survive. So yeah, interesting. That's an interesting statement. I like that. At the very least, uh, we wouldn't be coming together for Sunday service. <laughs> See, that's what I'm talking about, Darwinism, man. Um, let the Christians all go to service. Let them. Make way for them. Let's put up banners calling them to church. Let them kill themselves. Uh, we don't need them anymore. <laughs> I don't think we ever did, but I literally had to work overnight to guard your hospital warehouse because of this shit. Oh, well, thank you for doing that, man. I dig that. Yeah, so this entire pandemic, uh, being stuck in my house, reflecting on society outside, um, I have been entertaining different ideas about how I feel about humanity, right? Because as a species, I absolutely adore us. Um, tribally, I can't stand many of us. Uh, individually, I could go either way, depending on you. I don't know. How do you guys, do you guys see it the same way? Am I like way off base to how you see things? I, I'm, I'm curious because I think it's interesting. And certainly in times of crises, how we deal with each other. I mean, I just went to Costco, which is a sort of a wholesale grocer today on the hopes that there would be some disinfectant products, which there weren't, but I got some other essentials that we needed. And they were only letting certain people in at a, uh, at a time. And you had to keep six feet distance in the line as we were going out. And what I noticed that I never did before and people did not do to me before, but now everyone's on an equal playing field. People are like looking me in the eye, smiling and nodding, and I'm smiling and nodding back. This sort of cordial cultural exchange, which I never even thought before. Sometimes I may have done a nod or something, but I don't go out of my way to smile at people. But now I am. It's weird. It's like, if everyone around you was armed, like with a firearm, generally, unless you have that one fucking weirdo, which seems to be attracted to groups with firearms, um, generally everyone's super nice because they know if they're not, there could be a fucking problem. In this particular case, Everyone's coffer, everyone's uh, pie trap is a potential firearm to murder them. And I find everyone's being much more uh, kind, which is weird because, again, it's just an exchange. You're not, you're not taking them to dinner or anything. You're not, you know, buying their mom flowers. But that tiny little exchange, I kind of dug it for the time that I was standing in line and people were passing me. Now, of course, as soon as I got my shit, I got the fuck out of there and didn't think about anyone else. But up until that point, I, I dug it. It was nice. It was a good way to stand in line. Uh, if you didn't have an excuse for people, we literally wouldn't have to get a pointless job. There would be things that need to be done and Satanists would find things. Yeah, and I honestly think that in, in a society wholly made of Satanists, which there would never be because there's just not, we're, we're a huge minority. Um... It would be probably a barter system, <laughs> like, honestly. You know, we'd, we'd handcraft whatever it was, and we'd just sort of... It would, here's the irony. Kind of like a hippie commune, man. <laughs> Without all of the hippie, you know, mumbo-jumbo. But you rise or fall on your own merits. What can you bring to the table to trade for me on what I bring to the table? Meritocracy in its purest form. Kind of dig that. That's interesting. Uh, 
on Jupiter. I've, I've seen a couple of those. They need to be executed on the spot, in my opinion. Uh, you're too busy grooming yourself as a Satanist to concern yourself much uh, with too much past it. Uh, kind of a weird way to frame it, I think. Grooming yourself. Man, money is a whole uh, conversation. Yeah, no, it, it totally is. Especially when we... I'm not going to get into it. All right, well, that's all I wanted to talk about when it came to humanity. I'm curious to what you guys think. You can email me, info at reverendcampbell.com, or put it in the chat room or in the uh, comments below the video on YouTube. But I'm not going out and loving on people now, but I don't see people as collectively shitty as I did two months ago, which is interesting. It's, it's interesting. You know, some people are comparing it to post 9-11 in North America, where uh, the USA you know, everyone rallied together and stuff. And I don't, I don't want to go to that entire comparison because I think this is more than that. This is a global situation. And so I do think as a species, as a realist, as a Satanist, we should think globally and not specifically um, to our own country, whatever country you may be a part of, because it does cross imaginary borders that we put up. All right, so that's going to do it for this uh, Devil's Advocate. Thank you, guys. And uh, <laughs> let's do a little in front of informant. Can't fault you there, Jason. <laughs> That's pretty funny. All right, let's go to this next one here. We are talking about humanity's origin story just got more complicated. This is a gizmodo.com article, but it's referencing three different uh, essays that were released. Uh, and so I'm going to kind of get into it and share my geeky obsessions with you. Pardon me. Human evolution was messy, with multiple human species living and interbreeding at the same time in a convoluted process that eventually led to us, Homo sapiens sapiens. Um, we have often been taught, and certainly anthropologists and archaeologists have been taught, um, that modern humans, formerly known as Homo sapiens, could trace their evolutionary origins back in time by following a tidy, linear chain of ancestral species. And we've all seen it from the monkey, to the caveman, to Neanderthal, to Homo sapiens, to Homo sapiens sapiens, which we are. Uh, but that's bullshit. <laughs> and that's being uh, discovered to be bullshit as we discover different species that interrelate and all lie dormant in our DNA. Which tells you there is some fucking going on between species, between Homo species. Um, and maybe they were Homos. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help it. Uh, let's see. Three new science papers released today are affirming the view of human origins, providing evidence of overlapping groups of ancient or archaic human species. New evidence suggests to the important role played by contemporaneous sister species and sister groups and the exchanging of fortuitous genetic material in order for us to survive. We often think or reflect, again anecdotally, on evolution 
as an A to B situation. And that's not how it is at all. There's no, there's no concept of A needs to adapt to its environment in this way to survive, and so it goes to B, and they need to adapt in this way to survive, and they go to C. No. Th that would suggest some form of order where there is no order. Evolution is this mutation and that mutation and that mutation all happen within the same time frame, and those who can survive do out of the randomness of mutation. And that's evolution. And so it makes perfect sense that we as a human species would not evolve from A to B to C to D, but rather multiple sister groups, all with their own uh, mutated DNA intermingling and some of them coming out and surviving for them a while and others coming out and surviving for a while and then they get together and their survival DNA intermingles and creates new offspring that, that can then survive and mutate more. And it's just the chaos of the universe that we are sitting here staring at a screen that is comprised of data through ones and zeros. Like, yeah, that's crazy, right? Anyway, that's, this is my geekiness here. Okay. Uh, new Nature paper co-authored by Chris Stinger from Natural History Museum in London and Rainer Grun from Griffith University in Australia. They found that a hominin skull found buried in Zambia cave back in 1921 has been reanalyzed and given a new age of 299,000 years old, give or take about 25,000 years. Initially, it was assigned to a brand new species called Homo rodensis... <laughs> Rhodesiensis, Homo Rhodesiensis, but it was eventually reassigned to Homo Heidelbergensis, and then they recategorized the two groups together as uh, Homo Heidelbergensis and Rhodosiensis, uh, an archaic human that emerged some 600,000 years ago. Uh, in the new dating, if it's correct, uh, quote, then like other human species, Heidelbergensis lasted for at least several hundred thousand years, said Stringer. New dating coincides with the emergence of early modern humans who debuted during the Middle Stone Age some 300,000 years ago. The Natural History Museum in London describes in a press release, it is now looking like Africa and Eurasia were inhabited by a whole range of hominin species just a few hundred thousand years ago. While H. Naledi was living in South Africa, H. Heidelbergensis was surviving in South Central Africa, and H. Sapiens were emerging in Morocco and Ethiopia. At the same time as this, H. Neanderthalus was involved in Europe, and Denisovans were developed in Asia. H. Erectus was still having been clinging on in Indonesia, and two diminutive hominins, H. Florensis and H. Luzonensis, were living in an island life in Southeast Asia. So there are so many incredible different species of Homo sapien-like people that interbred in order to create us. And we're just discovering them. There's this typical narrative that, no, all of mankind came from Africa and migrated out to populate the world from there. And that's just not true. That is just not true. The truth is, versions of Homo sprung out from all over the continents, wherever they were, and they intermingled and then grew from there. 
it's a whole new paradigm shift of thinking about it if you've never thought about it before. And you just sort of take those little graphic, uh, infographic evolution uh, stories as, as fact. When, and they're not. They're just not. That whole biblical myth of a Garden of Eden and all life spreading out from the Garden of Eden as if we were all constructed as whole humans, all of this that science has discovered through archaeology proves <laughs> without a shadow of doubt that there was no one Garden of Eden and like there was no one version of Homo uh, species. There are many, and that's a thrilling notion to me. Um, all that carnal mastery making us. Yeah, dude, you get it on. That's, that's how you survive. Let's get it on. All right, so the new finding is consistent with the emerging picture of the fossil record and from uh, paleogenetics that several species coexisted for a long time across the vast expanse of the African continent, variously contributing to the origins of modern humans, not only directly as ancestral populations, but also through interbreeding with surviving archaic human species. That was the first paper. The second paper was also published the same day in Nature, and it investigates another archaic human species, Homo antecessor. Antecessor. Okay, I want to make sure I'm saying it right. Uh, the new research, led by Frido Welker and Enrico Capellini from the University of Copenhagen, it shows that the uh, Homo antecessor, who lived between 2.5 million and 770,000 years ago during the early Stone Age, is a close relative to modern humans and Neanderthals, as previously suspected. So in this particular paper, they're confirming previous beliefs. Uh, quote, I fear the study does not really answer the main question about Homo antecessor, namely whether it's the last common ancestor of Neanderthals and modern humans, Havarti told Gizmodo. The analysts uh, found that antecessor was a close sister group to the last common ancestor, which is an interesting result, but might be expected given the chronology of Homo antecessor. And so they found that there are DNA traces that lead to Neanderthals, but it's not this linear line. And so it just tells you that these tribal groups were all getting together. <laughs> like it wasn't just, it wasn't just like, I don't know how to describe it because it, it, any, any description is like this children's storybook, right? So it'd be like um, the brown bear mom meets a brown bear dad and has a brown bear cub. But that's not how it works, right? You don't even have to be a bear for animals to fuck sometimes. But if you want to, you know, have interspecial uh, species, interbreeding through species, you know, black bear and a brown bear could get it on and still have an offspring. And so that's what we did. Sister groups of homo species. Oh, I just love it, dude. I think it's so fascinating. Everyone here is like sleeping. <laughs> jetting out of the, the live feed because they don't care. All right, so the third published uh, study today in PLOS 1 by uh, Deborah Bolter and Modesto Junior College in California, along with her colleagues, studied the partial skeleton of a juvenile, uh, juvenile Homo naledi, an archaic hominin discovered in South Africa just seven years ago. The newly analyzed skeleton named DH7 consists of some arm and leg bones and some teeth. The specimen was found in the Dinaledi chamber of the rising star cave system in South Africa. Intriguingly, Homo naledi lived during the Middle Stone Age some 335,000 to 236,000 years ago, which coincides with modern humans. Accordingly, they could be a sister species to our own. 
uh, quote, understanding whether the two species shared features like pace of maturity may help us understand similarities in their adaptations or perhaps provide clues as to why one species survived and the other went extinct. So in this particular study, they're looking at the youth bones of this um, uh, hominin, uh, the Homo naledi, in order to see what life was like for that type of species to see why they survived for as long as they did and why they didn't survive longer than they did. And I think like that's something that I'd never even considered as this sort of uh, National Geographic TV viewer, you know, when it comes to this uh, type of stuff. I'm not studied in it. It just fascinates me. That's all. I'm an armchair uh, lover of science. And so uh, I never considered that you could learn about a species from the youth skeleton of that species to then extrapolate out why or not they survived how hard life was for that particular species compared to other sister species at the same time and how they survived stuff like that is just fascinating to me and so again they reiterate there was no garden of eden in africa as the entire african continent served as the proverbial garden from which various human species emerged extinct hominins continue to live in our dna and we can thank them for their genetic gifts, many of which undoubtedly contributed to our ongoing survival. And I find that just mind-blowing, which is why I wanted to bring it up here. All right, let me see what you guys are saying. Um, Graham Hancock is chuckling right now. Yeah, seriously, Sean. He had it right all along. And, and the thing is, is he didn't guess. He looks at historical record and he extrapolates out from geographical, um, um, uh, uh, that's not, geological evidence. And he's already known all this shit. Simply because he's listened to cultural myths of creation. Which are all turning out to have some semblance of reality in them. And that is really, really fascinating for someone like us who loves this stuff. Uh, nowadays we can travel anywhere in the world and have children with whomever we both choose. Absolutely. And that's what I find so interesting is that we, we, we're in it right now, right? So we don't see evolution happening on a human life scale. Um, there's a really great book by Dan Brown that was released called Origins a little while ago, a couple of years ago, I don't know. Anyway, it suggested that uh, Homo sapiens sapiens have evolved into a new species. And we just don't recognize it as that. So what about going back to these other sister species groups in the same eras? Did they see each other as different species? Or did they just see each other as tribes that just connected every once in a while? Right? So are we actually evolving right now into a new technology-dependent species as um, that fictional book? I want to make sure that's clear. It was just an interesting read is all. Um, but it's a fictional book that brought that notion out there uh, that we have evolved into this new techno version of ourselves, or at, or at least we're at the very beginning of it. And so we're going to go to a, a place as a species where we can't come back from. We're not going to be able in years to come to live off of the land. We're going to be dependent on technology as it becomes more and more a part of our physiology, right? It's going to be implanted in us. People are already doing that now. 
There are culture, I'm, I'm sorry, there are generations being brought up right now, millennials and Gen Z, that have never known a time without technology and the internet. When literally all human information, true and manufactured, is available for anyone and no one looks it up. <laughs> Anecdotally. So, how many generations are we going to see until we do truly evolve into something completely different? And I'm not passing judgment whether that is a good or bad human evolution. But the fact that we're in this transitionary period gives us the opportunity of witnessing that change in which no one else has ever been able to witness. What about our ancestors? Did, were they able to look at Neanderthals and be like, whoa, those motherfuckers got it together. Look at those stone tools. Holy shit. And they're like looking at the Denisovans. And they're like, oh, I, do you see that? A bracelet? How did they carve that? They got a bracelet. I don't even know what a bracelet is, but they got one. Like they lived at the same time and they were technologically so advanced in different homo uh, hominem groups. Did they see it like we do or were they just like, uh, fuck, eat, kill, <laughs> you know? I mean, we knew they practiced art. We see it in cave walls. We knew they practiced religion. We see burial graves. So they had some form of primitive religion. So they had some form of primitive art. They were much more evolved than we like to give them credit. So maybe they did see it. Maybe they did see this sort of changing of the human experience, the species. That's thrilling to me. Am I the only one? I feel like I'm the only one. Either way, I think it's very interesting. Origin is a good read. I highly recommend it. It's a good book. Uh, like Nikola Tesla said, what with technology comes the ignorance of man. Yeah. First of all, I think he was an alien. <laughs> Not really, but he was a brilliant scientist. Brilliant. Uh, and I think that's fair, especially when you see what we have now. Because like I was saying, I, I went to Costco earlier, and so we had to stand in a huge line that wrapped around the building. Um, it was like, uh, it was almost like Shaun of the Dead, where you just saw people in a line like zombie people moving forward. They were just staring down at their phones, taking a couple steps at a time. Sometimes someone would have to yell, move up, because they were so engrossed, they couldn't see that right in front of them, the line had gone forward and they didn't realize it because they were so into whatever the fuck it was they were looking at. Meanwhile, my hands are in my pockets. I'm looking at the birds in the sky, the clouds moving, the wind blowing flags on flagpoles, experiencing life. <laughs> and they're just like, hmm. I don't know what it was they were doing, but it must have been interesting. Maybe they were binging uh, Sopranos, in which case I would be okay with that. <laughs> Cave art in France is amazing. Yeah, well, I mean, it's amazing when you think of the time that it was done in, but as far as like quality, I don't know. It's no Da Vinci. Um, I'm glad, Zachary. I'm glad you're digging it. I, I find this stuff interesting because it informs who we are as a species. And as a Satanist, I find it enriching knowing what I come from and it helps inform my perspectives and it's exciting you know, to me. Anyway, that's going to do it for this uh, Infernal Informant. Let's do the creature feature and the Nightingale.
I love, I love the pairing of that beautiful harmonic music with the fly puking on the dude's hand and it just melting away. God. If you guys haven't seen The Fly with Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis, you are missing out. I'm telling you, it is a brilliant film. So good. Okay, so we're talking the night. Oh, hold on. I'm going to fix that image. We're talking the Nightingale. This was a 2018 Australian period drama film written, directed, and co-produced by Jennifer Kent. Uh, those of you who are students of horror film know her from The Babadook. Babadook Duke which was released in 2014. Uh, so uh, The Nightingale, it was set in 1825 in the British penal colony of Van Diemen's Land, now uh, the Australian state of Tasmania. It follows a young woman convict seeking revenge for a terrible act of violence committed against her family. It stars Aisling Franciosi, <laughs> uh, Sam Claffin, and Baikali Ganambar, and it's mostly in English with some uh, Irish Gaelic and uh, Palawakani languages. Um, again, it's a period piece. And so it's very much English colonial 18th century era. Uh, she is an Irish uh, prisoner. So what they used to do, I, I don't know if everyone knows about this. Um, if you were convicted of a crime in whatever capacity, whether it's real or not, in this particular case it was real, you're generally sent to a form of jail or prison where they, once it's filled to capacity in order to get more people in, they would take prisoners and give them to different uh, military or political um, families and they would be slaves until the set time that they would then have their ticket of freedom given to them and they would go off and try to, you know, they serve their time so they can go live their lives. Um, this is very common in uh, English existence in the, you know, 16th, 17th, 18th century uh, in the colonial period for England. They did it to the Irish, they did it to the Scots. Uh, the English as a tribe are probably some of the worst human beings <laughs> in their day. They're just terrible. And this film is going to really double down on that. Um, so as a, a Scottish ancestry, I've never looked fondly for no reason, because it's never affected me. Just ancestrally, I've, I've never looked fondly on the English. Um, but uh, this film, holy hell. Okay, so uh, this young woman in the, the poster that you're looking at, she's uh, a thief. So both of her parents were killed when she was a kid. Uh, in order to survive, she had to try to steal food. Sort of like Aladdin, but she couldn't sing, so she was screwed. She was caught, thrown in jail, and then given to a lieutenant in the colony, uh, in the colony, the prison colony that they are in, in Tasmania, right? By the way, I thought this was like an islander colony, like, I don't know, like uh, Puerto Rico or some shit, like back in the 18th century. So I had the error right, but I, like, my wife was like, no, those are, those are aboriginal people. I was like, no, they're not. They're islander people. And I can tell you as a grown-ass man how frustrating it is to consistently be wrong about every assertion I make to my wife. <laughs> she is always right. And it fucking sucks because I'm, I'm just like, no, I know that English had colonies all over the fucking the islands uh, going from South America to North America. These are black human beings. And so... <laughs> I didn't think that, that 
Australia was like I don't I don't know. I just didn't think that it was colonized like that. I thought it was the people like shipped there. I didn't think they were watched over. That's my you know stupid me. My wife is always right. So she's like, no, that's that's Aborigine. They're Aborigine. I'm like, no, they're not. So confirm, just constant. I, I'm so absolutely committed that I am right. And then she just does a quick, but it, see, it's like, God damn it again. Every fucking time. So from now on, I just have to swallow my ego and just be like, all right, whatever you say is right. <laughs> because it generally is. Um, anyway, um, so it's interesting because it, you're steeped into this colonial perspective from the beginning, right? And it, it starts off where she is uh, set to perform. It's called The Nightingale because she sings. She's a singer, this Irish, uh, beautiful Irish voice. Uh, and so she is dressed up in this really beautiful dress, presented to the, uh, it's kind of like a platoon-sized group of these um, colony soldiers. And... Uh, it's because a captain is coming in and the lieutenant who's over this group is expecting to be put in charge of another um, colony area, a promotion to captain. And so he's trying to, you know, roll out the big guns, make this girl do this great performance and stuff. And so she sings to all these guys. Here's the problem is in this era, women had no rights. They were regularly fucking raped and you just had to get along with life because other if you didn't do it, then you would probably be killed. And so... All of these soldiers are looking at her like she's a piece of meat. And you can tell that even though she's a prisoner, she's, uh, she was supposed to have been released after having done her time three months ago, but the lieutenant consistently refuses to let her go um, because he's raping her. Uh, he wants to keep her around and she's good to look at. Even though her husband, who was also a prisoner until he got his ticket, um, is working as a smith uh, for this group as well. And she has a child as well with her husband. Hopefully, you never know back then. Um, and uh, so she is trying to keep it secret so that she's consistently being raped because she knows that her husband would do what any husband would do, murder the person that did it. But this happens to be the lieutenant of a platoon of which all of these soldiers would gladly murder this uh, Irish smith so blacksmith and so you know she's in an impossible situation of trying to keep the peace until they can get the fuck out um i don't want to spoil and it's weird to say it in that context because the events that turn this from a survival tale to a revenge tale are so horrific that as soon as they happen you see it you see it happening in front of your eyes like you know what's about to happen as you're watching it and then it happens and both my wife and i sort of jumped up and cried out that it happened and i immediately like water filled my eyes and i immediately like, i was straight up like fucking emotional from that point in this film throughout the entire film just like rage and contempt and hatred for these characters which in my opinion is the hallmark of a brilliant film and this goes into that contemptible category of absolutely loving the film and I will never watch it again because of how it made me feel while I was watching it. And I'm a big fan of revenge stories. Uh, typically, it's the female getting revenge because 
us males are fucking animals. <laughs> we are just the worst in almost any time period. And so anytime you get a great story of a female survivor turned revenge story, I'm kind of in because I dig it. Uh, as a Satanist, who would have thought I like revenge? Um, but oh my gosh, this film is brilliant. It sets, it puts you in that era so wonderfully. And I got to say, Jennifer Kent is such a master filmmaker that you never once suspect this is a modern take on a story. Because back in the day, I don't know that this could have happened. Um, ultimately, she, she uh, gets matched up with an Aboriginal tribesman who helps her hunt down the men who did to her what they did to her and, you know, seek revenge. In the end, uh, I don't want to spoil it or anything because I do genuinely think you should watch it if you haven't yet. And it's on Hulu right now. You can just queue it up and, and watch it. But um, in the end, I'm not sure how I felt about the final revenge act and who had it. But the fact that it was done, the fact that the characters stayed true to themselves... And through frustration of you as the viewer saying, why aren't you doing this? Just fucking do what I think that I would do in that situation. But we're forgetting that she's not us and she's in a completely different mindset and in a completely different city. She's being true to the character in all of these situations. And as a modern sensibility, it gets frustrating. But as someone who adores storytelling and being in the story, in the time as the character... It was, it was so wonderfully done. It makes you hate. It makes you cry. It makes you just full of contempt for mankind. <laughs> Seriously. Hated mankind after I watched this film. All of them. Fuck them. I don't care who you are. You all fucking suck and should die. Uh, but that's, again, the masterpiece of uh, filmmaking when it's done right. Uh, so anyway... I highly recommend The Nightingale. I put it off for a long time because I didn't know how I'd feel about it. But as soon as we sat down and watched it and that that incite, inciting incident happened, which sort of set the film off on its trajectory, whew, <laughs> it was so rough. And I don't want to be the only one <laughs> to experience that shit. All right, and that's going to do it, everyone, for this episode of Nine Cents. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, you can, of course, view past Nine Cents episodes or my other satanic series on my website, reverendcampbell.com. If you enjoyed this episode or other satanic projects of mine, I would ask that uh, you would like this video, subscribe to the channel, sign up to the email list so that you can find out when the next one is. I realized that I put the wrong time at the beginning of this. I just left the default time when I set up this live stream. And so it said like 11 this morning. And so I hope no one was put out by that. Um, I put the correct... E uh, time in the email so I hope you guys you know I hope you're okay with that um, but I do apologize for that mistake I, I know that can be frustrating where you're like it's not live I thought it was live I'm making time out of my day to watch your shitty live stream and you're not live where the fuck are you I'm sorry it was a mistake um, that being said uh, if you want to catch any of these episodes including this one as a podcast just go to wherever you listen to podcasts and search Reverend Campbell it should be there give me a rating I'd appreciate it uh, and that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in live. You guys are fantastic. You're badass. I really do appreciate it. I love the interaction. Uh, and I love the challenging ideas that are presented because it forces me to question. And I love being challenged. I really do. If you'd love to learn more about Satanism, why wouldn't you? <laughs> Read the Satanic Bible. 
Visit churchofsatan.com. And until next week, all of you heathens, stay safe, stay healthy. Keep your six feet distance and wear your stupid masks if it's mandated. I don't know if it is yet. I think it is. I think it's suggested, not mandated. But um, stay healthy. And until next week, hail Satan.